Good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to what we just read in Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. Thank you, Lark family, for lighting our candle this morning. Um, in case you missed last week, we have started a Christmas series where we are celebrating Advent. Uh, we are lighting the different candles as we celebrate different parts of the Christmas story together. This morning, we lit the candle that represents faith. That is where we are in our time together in the Christmas story. So as you turn to Luke uh, chapter number one, as we think about the visit that Mary experienced with the angel Gabriel, I wanted to share with you about a familiar song that you've probably heard titled, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I recently read about the origin of this hymn, and some of you in the room may be hymnologists. Maybe you know more about the hymn than I do, but I learned a little bit about the hymn that I thought was interesting. First of all, it was written by a priest by the name of Phillips Brooks back in 1868. He wrote, or what inspired the words of this hymn, uh, were it, it happened as he returned home from a trip to the Holy Land. So as he experienced where Jesus walked, where he lived, as he experienced and took in all that was a part of the Holy Land, he came back with the words that became the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Once Brooks wrote this hymn, he asked his church organist, a man by the name of Lewis Redner, if he would create a tune to go along with the words that he had written. Brooks wanted to prepare the song to be uh, first sang as a newly written hymn at an upcoming Christmas celebration for his church. Redner, however, had several uh, days to prepare the tune for the song, but struggled. It wasn't until the middle of the night before the celebration where the song was to be sang that Redner got inspired and created the song as we know it today. The following day, a group of 36 children and six Sunday school teachers introduced the song created by Brooks and Redner. Now, though the song was introduced in 1868, it didn't become an official hymn until 1892. The following January, after it became an official hymn, Phillips Brooks died. He never fully knew the magnitude of the hymn that he created. Now, what I think is most interesting about the the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that most people might not know, is that it originally had five verses. Now, most arrangements today only include four. But what I think is fascinating is that the verse that is often missing might give the greatest picture of Christmas. Here's the verse that is often missing. Where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child, where misery cries out to thee, son of the mother mild. Where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door, the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. Did you catch the picture from that verse? Let me, let me repeat this line to you. Where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door, the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. Friends, that's exactly what we read about in the story of Gabriel and Mary. When we read about Mary in this experience, what we read about, what we note the most is her faith. In a sense, a faith that swung wide the door 
of Christmas. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, I want to look at this passage of Scripture together. I want to start in verse number 26. I want to show you a couple of things before we jump into the idea of faith. Look at verse 26, because there's a little bit that leads into this encounter that's important for us to relate to this morning. It says, Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, I want to pause for a moment because I want you to notice something. The place, the, the, the city of Galilee, which by the way, Galilee was known not very highly at this point in time. A lot of Gentiles had moved in. Most Judeans didn't even like the accents of a Galilean. They were despised because of the pagan rituals that King Herod had brought into the area of Galilee. Even more despised was the city in Galilee by the name of Nazareth. Now, many of you may remember this, but in John's gospel account, Nathaniel gives us a picture of how wretched Nazareth was when he's invited to follow Jesus. When Philip tells him, we have found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathaniel replies, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There is this poor, poor picture of the area in which Jesus is from. So I want you to think for a moment as we build this scene, there is nothing special about the place that Jesus comes from. It is prophesied that Jesus will be from this area and outside of prophecy and the will of God himself, the place is not significant. We would think of a palace or we would think of, of, of a city like Jerusalem or we would think of some grand great scale in which Jesus would be ushered in. But the truth is he comes from a very lowly, insignificant place. The place is really not that big of a deal. But I also want to show you not just the place is not that big of a deal. The person that we encounter is not that big of a deal. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 27. Jesus would come to a city in Galilee from Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now what's interesting is this is pretty much all we know about Joseph and Mary. We know that Mary is from Nazareth. We know that she is a virgin. She is a young woman who, like all young women at this time, was looking to be married to a man. The Bible says she was betrothed. This is a little bit different than maybe how we would think about engagements today, but as most girls in her time in that day, as a young teenager, her family found a suitable mate for her. They signed a contract in the synagogue and they decided to embark on a one-year betrothal that would be the preparation time before they would finally get married. Now, David, uh, Joseph is from the house of David. So is Mary, by the way, based on scripture. They once again fulfill prophecy from Jesus coming in the lineage of David. So we see prophecy all over this, the area in which Jesus is from, the fact that Mary is a virgin, the fact that they are from the house of David. So Jesus comes in the lineage of David. And so there's prophecy being fulfilled all throughout what's written from Luke's account. But what's interesting on behalf of the people who are 
in this area during the day in which Jesus would be born is that the place that Jesus comes from is not significant. The person that Jesus is born to is not significant. There's nothing special about Mary's life. There's nothing special about uh, uh, where she's come from. As a matter of fact, at this point in time, the lineage of David has been usurped by Herod and other rulers of the time, and so they're as poor as dirt. They don't even have anything to their own name. So think about this for a moment. They come from a very insignificant place. He comes from a very insignificant person. There's nothing special about what's happening. In fact, we would think if we were going to bring in the Son of God, if we were going to usher his existence into the world, we might do it in lots of different ways than what God decided to do. However, what is significant about this account, though the place and the person are not, what is significant is the faith of Mary. What we do find to be interesting about this account is not just the prophecy that's fulfilled, but the faith that is required for Mary to be who she is. Her life is extremely normal, so much that it's probably boring to most of us. However, the simple life that Mary is living is probably similar to most of us in this room. The difference is not who she is or where she's from. The difference is found in her faith. By the way, just let this segue into this truth. Faith changes everything. What might happen in our lives? If even in the simple, boring, normal lives that most of us lead, we would choose to trust God in faith. What might happen to the normal lives that we lead? What impact might we have on the world? Yes, even people from Saltillo, even people that no one else knows who were raised just like everyone else. What impact might we have on the world if we lived every day by faith in God? What's beautiful about this moment in Luke chapter 1 is not the place, it is not the person. Mary is not significant in this moment. What's significant is Jesus. What's significant is the faith that she places in God that ushers in the salvation of the entire world. You say, Danny, what do you mean? I want to show you a couple of things that we learn about faith from the experience that Mary has with Gabriel that are important, so, so important for us and what makes Christmas extremely special. Let me show you the first thing. Faith is possible because of God's grace. Faith is possible, not because Mary was good enough, not because she was special, not because she worked or earned. No, 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 she couldn't. None of us can. Faith is possible, not on the merits of Mary, but because of God's grace. Let me show you this. Look at Luke chapter one, verse number 28. Here is Gabriel as he comes to Mary. Here's what he says to her. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now the word greetings literally means rejoice or be full of joy. It is certainly a formal greeting, but also would imply for us the amount of rejoicing, the amount of joy that she and the entire world will experience through Jesus. The phrase, oh favored one, the Lord is with you, implies that Mary would receive unmerited favor, unmerited grace 
from God. Think about what this verse, think about what this phrase means for each of us. She's the first to receive what Jesus would eventually bring to every person on the face of the planet. She will soon be carrying in her womb the one that will bring grace for all of mankind. I love what John Phillips writes about Mary in this moment. Here's what he pins. He says, ever since Eve, God has been looking for a woman upon whom he could bestow his favor and his trust, one upon whom he could bestow the highest of honors, the honor of becoming the virgin mother of God's incarnate son. Now think about this, city after city, century after century, woman after woman, God was looking for someone to give birth to Christ. In this moment, in Luke chapter one, the search was over, the woman had been found. Look at verse 29. But she, even though receiving the favor of the Lord, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now the phrase greatly troubled, in my opinion, is a little bit of an understatement. Imagine this mighty angel by the name of Gabriel, which by the way, there are only two angels that are named in the Bible. Gabriel is one of them and Michael is one of them. According to extra biblical text, it's believed by the way that Gabriel is one of the four angels that is constantly around the throne of God who is singing praises to his name. He is considered to be a mighty warrior who can defeat anything we can imagine who will come alongside of Jesus at the end of days in the battle of Armageddon. Imagine the scene of what this angel must look like. Now think about this phrase, greatly troubled. She's not greatly troubled. She's terrified of what has just come before her. In fact, all I can think about in this moment is much more than her confusion, but what she must feel like she deserves when an angel as mighty as Gabriel, who has been in the presence of God for all of this time and all of his holiness and perfection, that reflection being seen by Mary in this moment, greatly troubled is an understatement. She's not just greatly troubled though, she's confused by the greeting from Gabriel. And she should be, not only should she be astonished by the greatness that she sees in front of her, but also young women in this time occupied a very low status in society. This is not the typical greeting that a young peasant woman would receive. She has most likely never been greeted in such a way and is certainly trying to figure out why this time is different. Yet in verse 30, the angel said to her, Gabriel, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, favor is not what we would think would happen in this moment. This is not the greeting that we deserve from an angel who's been in the presence of God comes down to humanity. It was God that was giving her favor, even though she did not deserve this greeting. By the way, friends, listen, God still gives grace to those who don't deserve it. She doesn't have to fear. Now, most of us would assume that a mighty warrior angel like Gabriel showing up with a message for us probably means that we're finally getting the punishment that we deserve from God because of our sinfulness. However, though an angel appearing before us should bring about the judgment that we deserve, God offers mercy and grace instead. All I can think about in this moment is the vision and the purpose of God in sending Jesus to the world to save 
everybody. As a matter of fact, I thought about a recent discussion that I had in my Sunday school class. We've been going through the book of Acts together as a class and just looking at what was happening in the early church and what it means to follow Jesus as far as it did for those early believers. And I think about uh, reading this moment of God's favor on Mary and also the final words of Jesus to his disciples in Acts chapter one. Let me, let me share those words with you. So when they had come together, his disciples and Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny, why would you be reminded of this moment? Well, here's why. They wanted to know when Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. They wanted to know when all of his enemies would be rightly judged. They wanted to know when they would be reigning and ruling alongside of them. But Jesus ignores that conversation. He tells them not to worry about that. Instead, he tells them to worry about being his witnesses to the world so that people can have a relationship with him. You know what Jesus was doing? He was saying, don't worry about my kingdom coming right now. Instead, worry about the grace the mercy, the favor that I want to pour across the world, focus on the fact that I want to change the lives of everyone. Think about this for a moment. The same favor, the same grace offered to Mary in this moment, offered at the first Christmas, is the same favor and grace that God still offers to people through Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3. Listen to these words. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, focus for a moment with me. Imagine Gabriel shows up at your house today. You see this mighty angel standing before you and you might think, woe is me, I deserve judgment and penalty for my sin. But you remember Because of Jesus, because of Christmas, faith is possible for all because of God's grace through Jesus. This moment, this encounter with Mary teaches us quickly, early on, that faith is possible, not because of you and not because of me. Faith is possible only by the grace of God. Did you know right now that faith is possible for you today? Yes, even the worst of sinners because the grace of God has nothing to do with me or you because the grace of God is good for all of us. Listen, Mary teaches us that faith is possible because of God's grace. Also though, Mary teaches us that faith is possible because of God's gift. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 31. The angel's still talking to Mary. Gabriel says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now this phrase, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, is the kind of news that every Hebrew would rejoice from. Jews placed a lot of value on women based on whether or not they would provide offspring. However, a son was even more precious because a son would carry on the family name and the family legacy. The family would have an heir. The family would continue into the future. The son that Mary will have will not just be any heir. He will be called Jesus. 
Now, the name Jesus is the Aramaic equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua. Both of the names combine the name of God, Yahweh, and the word salvation. The name literally means God saves. We read this in other accounts as well. This is from Matthew chapter 1. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the moment. Listen to this. He's the moment where God's justice, the fact that our souls that are sinful should surely die, and God's grace, in other words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in Jesus, God's justice and God's grace meet in a redemptive, loving, sacrificial climax. Friends, there is no way that Mary could imagine the gift that she would carry inside her womb. There's no way that she could imagine the Savior of the world that she would give birth to. But in case you don't know, or in case you've forgotten, may we never forget what Jesus saves us from. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, God saves, the name of Jesus means this. He saves us from the penalty of sin. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? Listen to Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. You know what that means? It means every one of us has earned the penalty of sin. What is that penalty? It is death. It is forever separation from God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what it means when it says that he will be called Jesus? When it says that God saves, it means that Jesus will save the world from the penalty of sin. If you place your faith in Christ, if you trust in him, if you lay your life down so that he can live through you, friends, the penalty of sin will be paid for by the death of Jesus on the cross. But listen, he saves also means that he saves us from the power of sin. I am thankful that the penalty is paid for by the death of Jesus, but I'm also thankful that I can walk every day, not as a slave to sin, but as a slave to righteousness. I am thankful that not only was the penalty of sin broken, but so is the power of sin over my life forever has been broken. Listen to this from Romans 8 two. for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That old way, that old power, it's been broken. You've been set free so that you can live not under the power of sin, but under the power of freedom in Jesus. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God that Jesus, the name God saves, means he saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. And oh, friends, ultimately, he saves us from the presence of sin. Aren't you glad that when you give your life to Jesus, there is an eternal home that is waiting for you one day. Though you should die, you will never really die because there's a place for you that Jesus is preparing right now in glory. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
Friends, that's what it means when he's given the name Jesus. It means he saves us from sin. It means he will be great. That's what Luke continues to say in verse 32. Look at it. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. There will be no one who compares to Jesus. He is the Son of God. In fact, John tells us, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has shown us who God is. He's the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. That's how great he will be. He is the rightful heir and king of God's people. But look at verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now listen, the house of Jacob, it's not just the nation of Israel. It's all those who will be grafted into the family of God. All those who follow Jesus are now his people, his children, his kingdom. And listen to his kingdom. Of his kingdom, there will be no end for all of eternity from everlasting to everlasting will be the reign of our King Jesus. What a gift we now have. Jesus, God saves. Friend, listen to me. Has he saved you? Have you allowed him to free you from the penalty, from the power, from the presence of sin? If not, can I just tell you something? You don't have to wait any longer today. You can give your life to Jesus. You can give your life to the one who saves. If you're here this morning and he has saved you, then what greater reason do we have than knowing that truth to praise his name today? Friends, faith is possible because of God's grace. Faith is possible because of God's gift. But let me show you one more thing that we learned from the encounter with Mary and Gabriel. Faith is possible because of God's guidance. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 34. Mary does what I think all of us do if we were to hear the Lord speak to us through the angel Gabriel. Look at what she says. How will this be? Is that not the question in all of our hearts at times? God, how are you going to do that? How can you save a sinner like me? How can you help me live this Christian life? How can you help me better be better than I am? God, how can you take somebody like me and change my life forever? God, what are you talking about you can save? How can this be? That's Mary's response to the angel, which is typically my kind of response to being obedient to Jesus. This is how I often respond when I have to trust him, when I have to have faith. I have questions. I have doubts. I have confusion. I'm not always certain what to do next or how can it be. As a matter of fact, it makes me think about the encounter that Jesus will have with a man whose son was in need of healing from demon possession in Mark chapter 9. Jesus said to this guy, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I I believe, but help my unbelief. You know what he was saying? He was saying, Jesus, I give you everything that I have, but I know it's still not enough, so help me. He had faith that Jesus would do what he could not do. I can trust, I can have faith because God will guide me. In fact, he tells Mary this in two different ways. First of all, he shows Mary his plan. This is what Gabriel unlocks for Mary. Look at verse 35. 
And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. How can this be? Well, here's how it can be. The Holy Spirit will empower you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now think about this for a moment. His plan for Mary and bringing Jesus into the world would happen through the power of his Holy Spirit. It would be supernatural. It would involve no man at all. The same way that God made man out of nothing, he would create from nothing his son in her womb. Friends, can I just point something out to you? Every one of us who follows after Jesus, it requires faith. Oftentimes, it requires faith that I'm not even capable of. So how do we get there? God guides us every step of the way. You say, Danny, what do you mean? By the same power of the Holy Spirit that produced Jesus through a virgin, that same power is offered to everybody who follows after Christ. I can't do it. What do I need? I need the supernatural power of God guiding me every step of the way. Well, praise God, he sent to us his spirit to guide us every day to do as he pleases. He gives us guidance through the plan of his spirit. But listen, Gabriel shows her something else, not just God's plan, but he shows her God's power. Look at this in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now watch verse 37 for nothing will be impossible with God. You know what? The Gabriel's reminding Mary in this moment, if God can take a childless, barren old woman like Elizabeth and put a child in her, then he can certainly take a virgin and put a child in her. God helps Mary understand that what, what we need every day as we seek his guidance to be obedient to his ways. Do you know what we need? We need his power. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Listen to this phrase again. Nothing will be impossible with God. Friend, when we believe that statement enough to live it, what more guidance do we need? Why continue to live life without the grace or the gift or the guidance of God? Friend, if you're here this morning, you've been trying to live through any other means. Why won't you choose to follow Jesus today? Now listen, I love what Mary finally says to Gabriel. This is in verse 38. It's my favorite part of the entire story. You ready? Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Think about that phrase. Do you realize what's just been said to Mary? You are a virgin woman betrothed to Joseph, but you will have the Son of God conceived in your womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary very calmly replies, how can this be? Gabriel says, nothing is impossible for God. No more questions, no more discussion. Mary in that moment, faith is born. You know what she says? I am your servant. Do to me according to your word. Friend, what if that was our response to Jesus today? 
What if whatever God's showing us, whatever he's placing on our heart, however he's challenging our life, whatever it is he's doing, even the faith that we can't even muster, what if by his spirit he's empowering us to follow in obedience to him? Friend, what if he's leading you to something today that even you can't comprehend? Will your response be, I am your servant? Friends, you know what Christmas teaches us? Teaches us about faith. How could a woman trust in such news? Because she believed that God would do it. Friends, do you have that kind of faith? The same thing that was offered to Mary, the same way that Mary could trust God is still true for us today. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Mary had faith, not because of anything that she did or anything that she came up with or anything that she earned. She had faith because of the grace of God. Friend, can I tell you something? That grace is still real for us today. It is unmerited favor. There is nothing you can do to earn it, but God gives it freely. He offers his grace. You say, Danny, how do you know he offers his grace to you and to me? Because he sent his perfect son to die in your place and mine. Place. He offers freely his grace. How do we know it? Because of the gift of his son. He's given us Jesus. You say, Danny, I gave my life to Jesus years ago. Why does this story matter for me? Because you need him more now than you even needed him then. You say, Danny, what do you mean? I need his guidance daily. If I'm going to represent him, if I'm going to live the way he wants me to live, if I'm going to point people to Jesus, someone that I could never be like, I need him to empower me to do more than I could do on my own. You know what it requires? Faith. And guess what? By God's grace and his gift and his guidance, we can have it. Isn't it amazing that the Christmas story is way bigger than a baby in a manger. It is God saves his gift of salvation, born to mankind. Friends, what if today God's asking you to display the same kind of faith as Mary did? Maybe today you're going, I don't know how it's possible for God to save a sinner like me. Well, friends, if he's calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light, he's not asking you to do anything more than to trust, believe, have faith that he will save you from your sins. If you're here this morning, you say, Danny, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you something? You can today because of what God has done for you. Why wait? Why not give your life to Jesus today. Listen, if you're a Christian in this room this morning, you say, Danny, what are you talking about the faith of Mary? What does that have to do with me? She was a virgin who was given birth to the Son of God. That is so different than my life every day. I would agree. But I would say the same step of obedience that Mary took is the same step that God's asking for you today, that he asked for you tomorrow, that he asked from you for the rest of your life. Danny, I can't do it. I know you can't but Jesus can through you. Will you today, Christian, trust in the one who has all of the power, who has all of the plans to accomplish in your life what you could never accomplish on your own? Danny, what do I need to do? Have faith, believe, trust that Jesus 
has everything that you need. Listen, I don't know how you need to respond to this story today, but I do know that when the word of God is preached, it demands a response from us. So friend, if you need to give your life to Jesus, I'll be back there in that lobby in just a few moments. I'd love for you to come back there. I'll take my Bible, tell you how you can give your life to Christ and your life will be forever changed. Christian, you need prayer. You struggling with something. You need to spend a moment with God. This altar's always open. Come right here, pour out your tears to him and say, God, help my unbelief. Respond to him as Mary did. You think she had all the answers? Do you think she knew what was gonna happen next? Do you think she could ever even fathom what the Lord was gonna do through her life? Of course she couldn't. But will you today say, God, I don't have all the answers, but I too am your servant. Here I am. If that's the response you need to give to the Lord, maybe it's time for you to realize once again, faith, the author, the perfecter of it, it's God. And you should submit your life to him.